Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So let's talk about Hanukkah, right? If there can be Christmas in July, there can be Hanukkah in August, right? Most of us, especially if you are relatively close to my age, uh, the majority of your knowledge of Hanukkah probably comes from the classic Adam Sandler song, the Hanukkah song. You know the one, you know, Hanukkah is a festival of lights. Instead of one day of presents, we get eight crazy nights. And then Adam Sandler goes on to list a number of people uh, who celebrate Hanukkah. For some of us, that's as far as it goes. But I want to talk about the origin of the story of Hanukkah because it's going to play a very large role in the passage that we're going to read today. Because actually, the passage that we're going to read today is when Jesus was in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah. So let's go back in time, take a trip with me, uh, back to the time of Alexander the Great. When Alexander the Great conquered the known world, and then he wept because there was no one else to conquer. Well, not too long after that, Alexander the Great died. And the Greek Empire was split into four sections, each ruled by one of his generals. One of those in particular uh, was the Seleucid general Antiochus III. And Antiochus III was a pretty nice guy, as rulers go, and let everybody keep their religion. His son, not so much. And so Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, became the ruler of a large chunk of the Greek Empire, including Israel. And he decided that it would not be legal any longer for the Jews to practice their worship of Yahweh. And so to assert himself into this place, uh, he tore down the altars in the temple in Jerusalem. He erected an altar uh, to Zeus and entered the temple and declared that he himself, Antiochus IV, was God. Well, as you can imagine, the desecration of the temple did not sit well with everybody. And so a certain family of priests got sick of this. And so this family of warrior priests, paladins, if you will, uh, led by Judas Maccabeus, uh, took back and using guerrilla tactics, took back the city of Jerusalem and the temple from the Greeks. And in fact, they established Israel as an independent country uh, until the time of the Romans. And this time, when they took that back, they decided that they needed to uh, renew the temple. They needed to rebuild the altars that had been desecrated. And as they did this, they only had one day's worth of oil in order to keep the lamps running. And so uh, the story goes that by a miracle, that the eight days that they needed to consecrate new oil, this one day's worth of oil, lasted all eight. Now, this little history lesson might be a lot of fun if you're nerdy like me. But why do I go into this level of detail explaining Hanukkah? After all, that's a holiday celebrated uh, by the Jewish faith or a Christian church. What are we doing here? Well, not only is Jesus in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah in our passage, 
the history of Hanukkah, which was very fresh on the minds of everyone in Israel, is in so many ways the backdrop of this story. Not just the celebration, but the whole story of Hanukkah itself. So here's what we're going to do. I'd like to first read this story from John chapter 10 to us. And, and then after that, I'd like to lay out what I think is going on in this passage for us. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it to John chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's in the worship guide, and we'll actually also uh, put it on the screen, and you can follow along in that way. So let's read and hear John chapter 22, or John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for the good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. So as we read this story, what I want us to see is the fact that we have to accept Jesus on his terms and not our own. We want Jesus to be the Messiah we expect, but he wants to be our good shepherd and show us what the Father is like. I think that's the, the thrust of this passage, because it begins, and John sort of goes out of his way to set the scene for us. It is the Feast of Dedication, which is what they called Hanukkah at the time. And it's winter, so we know, oh yeah, that's when the Feast of Dedication took place. And not only that, Jesus is walking through the courts of the temple. And then the Jews come to him, and they say something that seems maybe a little bit strange to you and I. They say, Jesus, just, just tell us plainly. Just, just say it clearly 
so we all understand it. Are you the Messiah? Now, I think the reason that John goes through such lengths to explain to us where Jesus was, what time of year Jesus was, what was going on in this text, is so that we can really understand what the Jews were asking Jesus. You see, the Jews bristled against the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and of all of Israel. They were waiting for somebody to come and overthrow the Romans. And so here they are, celebrating the time that a priest had risen up from among Israel and had led them to overthrow the Greeks. That's exactly what this holiday is about. And now Jesus, who many people are saying is the Messiah, some people are saying not, is there in Jerusalem for this feast. And they come to Jesus and they say, don't keep us in suspense. Are you the Messiah? What they were asking is, is it now time for you to kill all the Romans and for us to throw off Roman rule? There is an impulse inside every one of us. To think that we know exactly who God is and what he's about. And this is especially true uh, if you've been a part of the church for a long time. If you've been raised in the church, it's easy to sort of lay out and say, ah, yes, this is exactly who and what I expect God to be. But in many ways, this is rooted in arrogance. The Jews thought that they were going to get a Messiah to get rid of the Romans. And they asked Jesus, is that what you're going to do? Are you going to do that now? Are you going to be the guy that kills all the Romans and leads us against them? They had a very narrow expectation of who Jesus was. And we do too. As we've read through the Gospel of John. Have there been stories that surprised you? Because there should be. Have you been shocked at times at the way Jesus treated different people? You should be. You see, the struggle is for you and I, we think that we know God so well that we are no longer surprised. We know exactly who Jesus was and exactly everything about him. And so we are fast to point out all the ways that Jesus looks like us and acted like us. I saw this in, in very sort of clear terms not too long ago when I was scrolling through Twitter, uh, of vice to be sure, um, and an argument broke out because somebody said, it's very clear that Jesus was white. As I sort of read this, argument unfold on Twitter, it sort of blew my mind. Jesus, a Mediterranean Jew from 2,000 years ago, and you're trying to argue that he was white, it was, it, it made my mind hurt. But how often are we prone to the same thing? How often are we prone to remake God after our own Maybe you, would, maybe you would sort of shrug at that and say, no, that's not like me. No, I don't do that. 
the writer Anne Lamott has a great quote about this that I think is really helpful in diagnosing my heart, and I think it will be for yours. Anne Lamott says this, you can safely assume that you've created God in your image when it turns out that God hates all of the same people that you do. When it turns out that God is angry at all of the same people that you are. Guilty as charged. I do this. I do this. Whenever I quietly roll my eyes at something I see in another church or another pastor. Whenever I sort of think, ah, yes, Jesus must be very pleased with City Church because City Church looks an awful lot like Jesus. And if any church doesn't look like City Church, well, that means that they don't look like Jesus. I'm quick to remake God after my own image. I'm quick to want to remake him and reimagine him to look like me, to have the sort of friends I have, to make the same decisions I make, to be okay with my little, my little picadillos. I mean, let's not even call them sins. They're just mistakes. They're foibles. But what he's really upset about is the sins of those people over there. Jesus, have you seen them? Jesus, did you see what they were doing? We have this pride inside of us. I have this pride inside of that thinks that Jesus would approve of all of the things that I approve of and disapprove of all of the things that I disapprove of. It's hubris. It's me telling God who I think he should be. It's me making God in my image. And I think many of us can see that at work in our lives. That's what the Jews were asking they weren't asking Jesus who he was. They weren't asking Jesus to be Jesus. They were asking him to fulfill their cultural expectations of what they thought a Messiah should be. And so Jesus begins to correct them. He says, listen, you, you don't believe in me. You don't, I've told you that I am the Messiah, and you don't believe me. And then he begins to explain exactly who he is. He says, no, let me correct your idea of what the Messiah should be. The Messiah is not necessarily going to be a conquering king. Rather, Jesus says, on the heels of their expectation, when they are expecting a soldier, he instead says, no, I'm a farmer. I'm a shepherd. I am the protector of my people. I hold them in my hand. I am the one who gives them eternal life. Not just freedom from the Romans, but freedom from something much deeper. They want a warrior. Jesus says he's a shepherd. They want him to carry a sword. He instead carries a staff. And then he, he takes it up a notch and says, not only that, but as the Messiah, as the Christ, I and the Father he shows that it is not only, it is not just that he is a person, a human, who is saying that he is God. Rather, it's the reverse. He is God incarnate who has taken on flesh. And so it's not just that he is subverting the idea that Judas Maccabeus 
was the one who the Messiah was going to look like, but he's also saying Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the evil ruler who set himself up and said, I'm God, when he wasn't, is also wrong. Because Jesus says, it's, they accuse him and they say, look, you are a man who makes yourself out to be God. You're just like Antiochus. And Jesus says, no, I am God who has taken on flesh. I am one person of the three persons in the one true God. I am a part of the Holy Trinity. And so Jesus sort of responds to them, and they take up stones to kill him. They're going to stone him for blasphemy. And Jesus, in, in Jesus sort of John, the way that John characterized him, has something kind of snarky to say. When they begin to take up stones to stone him, what does Jesus say? He says, oh, for which of my good works are you going to stone me? Which, which healing has deserved death? When I, when I opened the eyes of the blind guy, is that why you're going to kill me? And they say, no, we're not going to kill you for that. We're going to kill you for making yourself out to be God. And so Jesus responds to them with this sort of deep rabbinic argument. He sort of says, okay, you want to you wanna play the, the sort of historic Jewish religious game? I got it. Go open in your Bibles, open in the scrolls to Psalm 82. How come it says about humans in Psalm, 1, in Psalm 82 that some of them are gods? It's a passage that's talking about uh, sort of the way that judges rule over, and judges are the ones who, who decide our fate in this life. He says, if it calls them gods, how much more me, who is consecrated, who is set apart by God? How much more me, who is sent from God and fulfilled God's mission? Jesus makes an argument here from the least to the greater, and he sets the terms of belief in him. Jesus is the one who sets the terms. And he asks them, he says, look at the things that I do. Look at the things that I say. Are those in line with the character of God? If all that we know about the Old Testament is true, and it is, and all that you know about me is true, and it is, do those things line up? Jesus asked them to evaluate him by the things that he said. He is moving us towards a question. Are we willing to humbly believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That's it's a trickier question than you want to let it be. Because what he does is he quietly exposes a lot of unbelief in you and I. Is the Jesus that's presented in Scripture the one we believe in? Or have we remade him into Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I want to talk to you for a second. Because one of the greatest stumbling blocks to Christianity is this. That much of what goes around and goes on in the name of Christianity does not bear resemblance to the Jesus of the Bible. It's a Jesus of one culture or another. You see, whether it's it's one side of the aisle or the other, because we are so prone in our hearts to sinfully remake God in our image, we all of a sudden take and remake Jesus into having all of the same political opinions we do. 
what we're doing is we're exposing the fact that that the most dominant religion in America is politics. And so we're going to take the next most dominant religion, Christianity, and we're just going to squeeze it into what our true religion is. And this is true on both sides, on all three sides of the aisle. Jesus is like me. He's a Republican. No, Jesus is like me. He's a liberal Democrat. No, no, no. Jesus is like me. He's a moderate who is above this fray. In all three cases, what we're doing is we're creating Jesus on our terms. So this can be a stumbling block if you're not a Christian. And I understand that. So I have a challenge to you. Look at the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of Christians. Because we fail miserably. But look at the Jesus, even in this book of John, and see if that resonates with you as something true and good and beautiful. And church, in many ways, the challenge to us is to do the same thing, to see the character of God. Because Jesus says, if you look at what I do, if you listen to what I say, you will see what God is all about. Let's just take a walk for a minute to remember what we have studied in the book of John. We have seen that, that Jesus has said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, he has said that he is going to give himself up as a sacrifice. He has emphasized the importance of believing in him. We see in John chapter 4, Jesus' love for the outcast, a, a woman getting water at the well around noon. We see that Jesus says, that the works of God, if we are to follow him, true works of God are to believe in Jesus. We see that Jesus is eternal and the source of all truth when he tells the people that before Abraham was, I am. We see that Jesus has a love for those of us who feel shame. We see that clearly in the story of the woman caught in adultery. Are some of these stories shocking to you? They were to Jesus' disciples when Jesus met with the woman at the well. They, they, she was surprised. Why are you, a Jew, and a man talking to me, a woman and a Samaritan? That's not how this works. Are you shocked and surprised that Jesus didn't condemn the woman caught in the very act of adultery? When Jesus says he is the source of all truth, does that bother is that surprising? Or what about when he heals the broken? Now that we can sort of understand, but what about the fact that Jesus intentionally finds the people who are cast out, like he did with the man born blind who was kicked out of the synagogue? As we read the story of John, as we see the picture of Jesus, we begin to, to have the lenses click into place. Our, our eyes are open like the man born blind. And as we see Jesus as our good shepherd, as we see who he is and what he did and what he said, we begin to see what the God we serve is like. This is the God that we serve. Our good shepherd who shows us who he is, who calls us by name because he loves us. And he calls us to believe in him. He lays down his life. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And we follow him as he is victorious.
And so our call this morning is to dwell deeply in who Jesus is. To remember well what Jesus has done. Because when we internalize the stories and words of Jesus, when we make those things the fabric of our life, we begin to show the same kinds of love and generosity that Jesus did. When we stop trying to make God in our image and instead make our lives around his image, we radically love others. We find the cast out like he does. We serve those who are broken, who are hurting. We are bold in the way that we reach out to others. We are humble in the way that we care for one another. We are creative in the way that we serve others. So, church, let us repent of making God in our own image and faithfully serve him on his terms, not ours. And may we move forward together, not just as individuals, but as the body of Jesus, may we move forward together with Christ the victor leading the way. Let's pray.